Welcome back to the American Maritime Podcast. We're glad to have you aboard today. I'm your host, Sada Fuentes, Secretary Treasurer of the American Maritime Partnership. We're joined today by Fair Kim, President of American Maritime Congress. Fair has also served in the Coast Guard and was deployed throughout the Caribbean, South America, West Africa, the Middle East, and Afghanistan in various operational and legal billets. Fair, welcome aboard. Thanks for being here today. Hi, Sada. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Let's get started by learning a little bit more about you. Can you tell our audience a bit about your background with an emphasis on your national, national and homeland security experience? Sure. Um, prior to joining the American Maritime Congress, I spent 20 um, years in the Coast Guard. Uh, most of my career was dedicated towards the operational world with um, about a quarter of it on the legal side. So as far as the operations, um, I have 10 years or nearly 10 years at sea, so on ships in various capacities in the border maritime security um, portfolio of the Coast Guard. Um, and, and really, uh, from a national security perspective, the Coast Guard in its border maritime security is, is really uh, focused on one thing, and that's thwarting transnational criminal organizations, whether that be migrant smuggling or counter-narcotics operations, all in the maritime realm. So personally, I've conducted uh, hundreds of what we call boardings, which is when a, a group of Coast Guard personnel, the boarding team, leaves the ship um, and goes on board um, another vessel and does a security boarding, um, checks paperwork, inspections, immigration paperwork, et cetera, to ensure compliance with um, not just immigration and narcotics laws, but also just the uh, regular federal regulations that apply to shipping. Um, on the legal side, um, I spent uh, quite a bit of time over in um, South Florida area, which is a major transshipment point um, both commercially and passenger-wise for the domestic fleet. Um, and in that capacity, I work with uh, not just U.S. flag shipping interests and Jones Act interests, but also um, foreign flagships and can have a pretty good sense of you know, the comparison amongst the two. Very interesting. So that movement from Coast Guard over to Maritime seems like a very natural shift for you and, and really in line with your interest. Uh, so tell us a bit about why does it matter that the United States maintains a domestic shipbuilding and maritime industry? Uh, I'll, I'll start with the shipbuilding part first. And I, I, I understand that um, a lot of folks, you know, when they think about shipbuilding, uh, they think about the steel, right? They think of rivets, they think about, you know, the, the, the bending of the steel and formulation of the, the hull in the water using, you know, displacement principles and, and buoyancy and that type of thing in the shipyard. And that's certainly the, the majority of what, what goes on in a shipyard, right? You're fabricating a vessel. Um, but in addition to that, there's components, not just within the frame of the vessel itself, but the innards of the uh, inner components. And that's what I don't think a lot of your audience might really think about. So you're talking about the IT, the, the navigation, the radar systems all of those things, the weapon systems, all of those things are shipbuilding. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of the folks that think about shipbuilding, they just think about the actual steel, right? Um, they don't think about these other components. So what I'm getting at is there's a tremendous amount of ability to maintain integrity, sovereign integrity, you know, U.S. shipbuilding, the U.S. having control over its own shipbuilding um, abilities. And it's not just for the warships that I'm talking about. If we produce warships, but that expertise also goes into the commercial side of things, whether you're building, um, you know, offshore supply vessels, fishing vessels, tugboats, barges, whatever. All of that is what 
is considered the domestic shipbuilding industry, that's critical to maintain. Um, I've heard an argument out there where folks are saying, well, you know, the Jones Act is, is uh, a protectionist and it's designed to help maintain, if it's designed to help maintain the domestic shipbuilding industry, it's not doing a good job because look at the downfall of the U.S. shipping uh, shipbuilding industry compared to where we were. Um, my response to folks like that is, is that if you can imagine where it would be, we're barely hanging on by our fingernails to the domestic shipbuilding um, program in the U.S. Where would we be without the Jones Act? Well, quite simply, you can look at some of our former, um, you know, compatriots in, in World War II when it happened uh, to Great Britain, where they literally have no shipbuilding industry. They're resolved to use other countries, um, allies and non-allies, um, to to uh, repopulate their fleet of warships and go to technology abroad. And it might not sound that bad, right? Okay, you're you're outsourcing your your war making. Uh, your your naval ship uh, capacity, shipbuilding capacity, out to you know South Korea, Japan, and that's fine, right? In a lot of people's words, because they're allies. But are they true allies? Are they are, certainly they are you know allies, and they have been allies. But are they economic allies? Um, China's a, coming up closely on becoming one of the top uh, two shipbuilding nations. How long before uh, cost over overrides other aspects of your economy and you're outsourcing to the lowest because that's all you have the, the lowest uh, price and, and again th these are national shipbuilding um, priorities for your national fleet for your war fleet for your navy for your armed services um, so there is a slippery slope um, and that's why it's important to maintain that domestic ability because we never know when we're not going to be able to rely maybe not on our uh, wartime allies but maybe they're not as economically um, with, with the, the globalization is going right now on a trade level. Maybe they'll they'll uh, you know impact our ability to, to um, maintain our shipbuilding industry. So it's a very long answer, but I want to look at it from a different side of of what the Jones Act really does is is it preserve the last uh, bit of what we have left is it helps to preserve what we have left so that we'll never have to outsource our national security needs um, for our uh, naval and coast guard fleets out to other countries. Um, the second part of that is, as, as far as the maritime industry, it, it all comes down to people, right? Um, it's a very, very critical aspect of ships and the maritime industry. Um, when you think about it, and, and these are not just objects, right? They are actual, actually manned by people, operated by people. And those people are Americans under the Jones Act of the domestic trade. Um, that pool of folks in the domestic trade here, uh, the Jones Act sailors, that's the same fleet and the same pool of professional manners that sail uh, throughout the world on non-Jones Act ships. Um, and that's important. Why? Because, um, you know, again, from a national security perspective, when we move things around the world for the Department of Defense, for the Department of State, those go on U.S. ships. Those U.S. ships have U.S. mariners on them. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why that, uh, that mariner pool is fungible between the domestic Jones Act fleet and some of those uh, missions that we carry out for DOD uh, that are frankly not commercial Jones Act missions, but they still require the manpower, the expertise, um, and, and the status as American citizen mariners. Thank you so much, Fair. That, that was very insightful, and, and you really kind of painted a really big picture, for, a really good picture for us. Faith in the news media has been challenged, making it even harder to get stories told. The Friday Reporter podcast was created to help audiences better understand the media. 
by hosting journalists who will answer the questions to which we need answers. Join me every Friday to hear more. Can you tell us a little bit more about why we need the Jones Act? I think, I think if I could just say one thing, um, you know, from a Coast Guard perspective, and I equate the Coast Guard to it's just like this entity, right? And from my perspective as a lawyer in the Coast Guard, um, dealing with commercial traffic and domestic traffic, Jones Act traffic, I always try to compare it to other aspects of transportation, whether that be commercial or passenger. Mm -hmm. So let's take something that is like, a, you know, a commodity, right? This country in this day and age, we're really focused on energy independence, right? Unfortunately, we've got different modes of, of creating electricity, let's say, right? Um, whether that's, whether it is what it is, we, we rely, the majority of our electricity is produced by fossil fuels. But what people don't really realize is that that a lot of that fuel, a lot of that, whether it be coal or petroleum, that moves on Jones Act ships, right? Mm -hmm. So that might move from Memphis down to Houston, let's say, or vice versa, from one place to another where the electrical plants are. That's no different than, let's say, a pipeline of, of natural gas moving from one point to another place or a tanker on the road carrying gasoline. Now, I try to put things in perspective with regards to that is infrastructure, that tug or that towboat pushing that gasoline, let's say, up the Mississippi River is manned by uh, US Mariners, right? Licensed credentials overseen by the Coast Guard. Um, similarly speaking, that tanker that's on 995 taking gasoline from one point to another, you've got a US citizen with a commercial driver's license that's uh, in a truck that's, that's regulated by the Department of Transportation. Um, and that's going from point to point. Likewise, you've got a pipeline craft moving natural gas from one point to another within the US. All of those are part of our energy infrastructure, whether that be the tugboat and the barge, whether that be that pipeline, whether that be that truck. If you can imagine the Jones Act part of it and say, well, if there was, you know, um, if, if there was no Jones Act, let's say, what would you have with the equivalent of that pipeline? You would have that pipeline owned by a certain foreign entity, managed by another foreign entity, perhaps guarded, you know, in terms of security, uh, the security guards on the ends of those pipelines by another entity that's foreign, maybe the lowest cost out there. Same with that truck. What if you had a truck on I-95 with, with gasoline that was, you know, that truck was built in India. The truck has a title um, that was in some place um, in, in South Sudan. The driver was uh, Costa Rican. The driver's commercial driver's license was from Moldova. Um, it sounds crazy, but that's exactly what we would have if the Jones Act wouldn't be in place. And the Coast Guard would be the one to regulate all of that. Um, the same the same equivalency you can put towards airlines, right? Um, nobody has any problem, you know, <laughs> thinking about, you know, getting on a plane from Jacksonville to Tulsa, and that's, you know, United Airlines is going to fly there. It's going to have a U.S. crew, licensed, regulated, trained to U.S. standards, not international standards, but U.S. standards, be able to take that flight from one place to another. Um, the equivalent of the Jones Act would be to have that, uh, to not have that Jones Act um, in place for on the maritime world, would be to have that pilot be, again, from one country with a commercial license from another country with a crew from a third country, um, you know, falling under that country's labor standard, that training standard, the safety standards, environmental standards, in a plane, uh, service in another country, uh, maintained in another country in terms of records, and owned by a sovereign wealth fund of some other country. So it sounds ridiculous when you lay it out there in the other uh, parts of infrastructure, passenger or commercial infrastructure of this country, whether that be highways or the airlines, but when you put it in the domestic um, maritime trade 
it doesn't, there, there always seems to be this friction with folks not understanding that these are exactly the same things. They're modes of transportation for commodities, for passengers, for commercial goods, and for DOD and, and, and government hardware and, and commodities. Um, and when you lay it out all like that, it completely makes sense. Yeah, yeah that's well said, that's well said. And you know, the Coast Guard already has such a wide and broad mission set that it seems like waiving the Jones Act or getting rid of the Jones Act would create even more of a burden on the Coast Guard. Is that is that accurate to say? Create more I think that's fair to say. I mean, if you think about the Coast Guard as not just you know the regulatory aspect of the merchant mariner fleet here in the U.S., but it also has its border security mission, like I mentioned before. Also, we're abroad. I served time in the Middle East and Afghanistan, ensuring that you know our expertise was available to our DoD partners across the world for projection of U.S. forces. Um, so, if you look at how you know with 11 statutory missions, the Coast Guard spread thin as it is. Um, the FAA, for example, with planes. All they do is regulate those planes, the licensing, and that is all the FAA does. The Coast Guard does that same thing for maritime field, in addition to all of these other missions. So the, the amount of strain that would um, inure to the Coast Guard and on a personal level, it just it would be the point that would be spread too thin. That would be um, it, it would be a huge security risk that the Coast Guard was would have to enforce immigration, enforce regulatory aspects of the cargo itself enforce the, the training levels of those mariners. Again, this is without the Jones Act. Um, and, and in addition to look at the technology on those vessels, these non-US flagged vessels, these, um, uh, these non-US built vessels. So combine all that, it would be a tremendous strain on the Coast Guard. They would do it um, if that was their statutory mission and they had to do it, but they wouldn't do it very well. All right, Farrell, you've touched on the manpower issues, the need for a domestic shipbuilding base. Is there anything else our audience should know about why the Jones Act is important to the United States? I think in this day and age, especially with recent events, uh, a lot of folks are starting to take the view that it's not just about the cheapest, least expensive thing out there. And that's what's driven us to this point. That's the function of globalization going out throughout the world to find the, the least expensive, most available. But what folks are starting to realize things from the administration to Congress to just the regular Joe Sixpack is that there is a power, there is a degree of security within having control of your domestic manufacturing, your domestic transportation, your domestic energy. All those things contribute to national security in one way or another. So I'd like to ask your audience to think about that. Um, about how, you know, what price um, are, are we willing to, to, to sublease our future, our children's future, to have everything exported, or, or rather uh, outsourced, whether that be manufacturing jobs, whether that be energy supplies, or whatever. Um, we're really mortgaging our future um, and becoming more dependent on the world, and we should be less dependent on the world at large. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Fair. We really appreciate your unique perspective. Thank you. And that's all for this segment of America's Maritime Podcast. I'm Sada Fuentes, signing off.